Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Lord, for just a few moments here, we're going to read your scripture and we're going to seek to come to an understanding as a community. Lord, the time is very short and limited, and I, I'm, I'm asking that somehow you would um, speak by your spirit profoundly in this moment past whatever words I share. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Not for long. It won't be terribly long. Um, but there's a few things, and I've been quite anxious, honestly, about this day, because seeing everything that we had and knowing the time constraints and knowing limitations of patience and everything else, I'm seeing here, how do I jam 45 minutes of communication into about 15 minutes of time? Don't hold me to the 15 minutes. Um, so here we go on that. Uh, I want to start by, by sharing with you one of my famous, favorite uh, illustrations, probably. There's this father who's passing by his son's bedroom, and he's astonished to see the bed that has been nicely made up, and everything's neat and tidy, and that caught his attention because it's never neat and tidy in a son's room. Then he saw an envelope propped up in the window on the pillow, and it was addressed, Dad. And so with the worst premonition working in his mind, he opens the envelope and he begins to read these words with trembling hands. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my, dear, new, my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Joan and she is so nice. I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercings, tattoos, tight motorcycle clothes, and the fact that she is so much older than I am. It's just, not just her passion, Dad, she really gets me. Joan says that we're going to be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood, just enough for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many children. Please, don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. I'm sure we'll be back to visit someday so that you can get to know your grandchildren, your son, Chad. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card that's in my desk drawer. I love you. Call me when it is safe to come home. When it is safe to come home. I love that one because it sets you up in one direction and takes you someplace else entirely and you find a sense of relief and everything else in the process. But the phrase that's catching me today on this statement is, call me when it's safe to come home. Call me when it's safe to come home. I'm going to try to take several things here and I'm hoping you'll see the connections as we go on. As I was preparing for this gathering an event happened about three months ago. My wife had asked me in, uh, about a time when I'd been out of the country, and I couldn't remember what year it was. It was years back, and I couldn't recall, and then I, I, we had a debate about it back and forth for, for whatever reason it was, and so I, I realized there's a way I could tell, and I went into my office, and there's a place that I have set aside, and I have set aside um, 
calendars. Now, for those of you that don't know, these are called analog calendars, okay? This is like pre-Goog and all the rest of that stuff. And so I, I had these calendars, and I went through it, and I was able to find the exact date. And the reason why is because this is 35 years of history. And I found myself somewhat getting emotional at one point because I realized every wedding I've ever done, every funeral I've sat over, every um, meeting I've had, every counseling appointment with a marriage or, or some other situation, every strategic gathering and input, all that is in this whole stack of 35 years in this place of history. We have just finished 50 years of ministry. We can trace back things to a youth group called Genesis that exploded and had an impact that transformed a church and a youth movement of its time in 1994. We can talk about a time after we built this elaborate structure out there and renovated everything else when everyone else would launch that as the next step to bigger and brighter things than we actually retreated. We felt God saying, step back. And we had almost two years of simplicity where we got rid of every program except for two or three key ones. Recently, as we finished the 50 years, we can talk about these 40 days of prayer that we've had. As we're sitting here going, God, what are you saying to us? We can talk about those things and, and so many other stories, so many other moments that are listed in these calendars and are marked on the walls of our lives for those of us who have been here for that length of time. To an Olga who has been here for 40 plus years now. But here's what I felt the Lord saying to me in the process of this. A passage of scripture jumped to my mind. And it was Isaiah 43, 18. And it says simply this, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And so the very first thing I want to launch out to you, and I want to stand on the, the credibility that I have as much as anyone outside of Olga, because I've been here for that season of time to say that we are done with the past that we cannot dwell and, and turn to that backwards view. That as we've completed 50 years, that we need to be looking forward. That does not mean that we cannot honor the past. It doesn't mean that we cut from our moorings the roots and the identity. One of the things that, that, that uh, um, Brenda shared at one time is that you need roots in order to have shade. That there's no shade without roots. And so we're not severing the roots of who we are but we need to not dwell any longer on the past. And that includes past hurts, past offenses, past distractions, that there needs to be a release of that. And so that's the first thing I would speak to you. And I don't normally say this. There's a term in, in, in biblical terms called prophetic. And it means to speak with the voice of God or to speak into something in a more powerful way than would be the norm. It would be something of the Spirit of the Lord speaking. And I rarely say that. I say that God uses me in the prophetic like twice a year. But I believe that this is one of those times. And I say that without arrogance, but with utter humility on this. That we are to sever those things or, or to not dwell. Not severing, but we're not dwelling on those things any longer. We need to move forward. One of the things that's come up recently is that we are a bridge 
We connect different groupings and people together, and nobody really pays attention to the bridge. You may pay attention to somewhat to the Mackinac Bridge, but the real issue is where you're going to, the Upper Peninsula or the Lower Peninsula. You may pay attention to the Golden Gate Bridge to some degree, but really nobody really cares about that bridge. What they care about is getting to Sausalito or, and, and the lands beyond, or San Francisco and the land beyond. And so this is one of the strategic things that we have been doing over the years is to be that bridge. And as we sever, or at least no longer dwell on the past, we have not yet established fully the future. I don't come to you here after 40 days of prayer, 50 years of history, say, here's our exact path over the next year to 10 years. What we're recognizing is that this year is in, in, is in itself a bridge. That as we cease to dwell in the past, there are things stirring in this year that are going to be shaped and formed that bring us to a point of next year, which will be 2020. Which ironically, we started our vision casting thing years ago with the statement 2020, both 2020 vision, but also pointing towards the year 2020. And so this year is going to be that point of transition to some degree. And there's a word for this in theology and in psychology. It's called liminal space, not luminal, liminal space. You know, what happens if you lose what appears to be your everything and you do not know what to do next? If you feel that you're anxiously floating in the in-between, one author says perhaps you're in the liminal space. And the word liminal comes from the Latin word limens, which means threshold, a threshold. So you stand on this threshold looking back at the past, not able to fully see the future that you're walking into. Those who stand at the threshold between their previous way of structuring identity, time, or community, and a new way. They stand in that moment, and the continuity of tradition may become uncertain. Future outcomes, once taken for granted, may be thrown into doubt. And one writer says it this way, it's when you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. It's when you're between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. If you're not trained in how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, you will run anything to flee this terrible cloud of uncertainty. But I finish by saying tolerating the transition can take you to a better place. We are going to be in a position of transition in this year. We are not severing from our roots. We're not cutting from our values. We're none of those things. We're no longer dwelling on those. Instead, we're looking forward to saying, what is it that God is establishing beyond those roots and beyond that place? That scripture, Isaiah 43, 18, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. There's another one that follows that. That's the 18th verse of Isaiah. The 19th verse says this. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Our bulletin cover reflects this, that this is going to be a season of change and transformation of looking how God is wanting us to move in this new season of time, a time of transition. If you have been here forever, then you have roots in history that can add to this next level of change. If you are brand new or walked in and are looking for a new adventure, this is the place for you to be a part of something on the ground level of transformation and change. Well, that's gonna be impacting places like Costa Rica, or Osborne community in Detroit, or your own home and workplace and who you are as an individual. And so you're being invited today on a journey, a new period of time, 
a new thing that is being sprung up. Now, this is a journey that's talked about in Isaiah because the passage goes on further in Isaiah 43. It says, don't fear, I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name, you're mine. Then it talks about passing through waters, I'll be there. And through rivers, when you walk through the fire, you're not gonna be burned. Flames will set you ablaze. This is all talking about Israel's experience of leaving Egypt. They leave everything they know to follow God into a desert. They're not yet at Canaan. They're living in this liminal space between that release from bondage and coming home fully. And he's saying in there that I'm with you in the tough times where I'll part the waters for you like I did the Red Sea. He's evoking that. Or I'll be with you when you go through tough, dry times. The burning bush burns, but it's not consumed. You throw a wet log on, it won't light up, but you get a dry log and it goes up like that instantly. What he's saying is in your dry times, in those times when you are dry and, and likely to go up at the slightest touch, I'll be with you there and you're not going to be burned. You're not going to light up in that moment either. And he claims who he is. But here's the thing I want to draw your attention to in this. I'm going to go back to the 43rd verse 1b, right at the beginning here. It says, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name and you are mine. This message should be entitled New Beginnings, and it's not, even though that's what the subject is. Instead, it's entitled Called by Name, and here's why. He says in this three things. Don't fear, but here's the thing. There's three you's, three you messages. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. You are mine. I have redeemed you is the first thing. It's an element of redemption. To be redeemed means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. Jesus Christ dies on the cross for all our sins to redeem us, to restore us, to tell us it's safe to come home. That your sins are paid for. That you no longer need to dwell on the past of what has entangled you and drawn you down. But that in Christ and in accepting his sacrifice... You don't have to dwell in the past. There's something new that started. You've set that aside and you're now on the threshold of a brand new life. You live in that liminal space. I've redeemed you. I've paid the price. Another translation of redemption or definition though also says um, to compensate for the faults or bad aspect of something. From this point on, God compensates for our failures. That does not mean that we live and stay in those failures. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm forgiven, I'm free, so now I can continue to go out and cause damage to other people or damage to myself in sin. That is not what it is saying. That is very, very wrong. It means you have now been freed from the past and from your sin, from everything's there. You now stand on the threshold of a whole new life. You can forget what's there, but now you need to pursue what is yet to be. You need to be changed and transformed by the grace of God. You need to accept that there are certain things that you leave behind and beyond the threshold from behind you there. The second thing, though, that catches me on this is he summons us by name. He doesn't just sit here and say, hey, y'all, come. He sits here and says, Michelle, I want you to come with me. James, I want you to come with me. Jerry, Miguel, Al, I want you to come with me. He calls us out by name. He identifies us. He knows 
who you are. There's not a person in this room today that God doesn't know exactly who you are and where you're at. And before you recoil in fear or trepidation over the fact that he knows everything about you, realize the first thing, he wants to redeem you. He wants to see those things set aside. He's calling us by name. And he concludes with this and saying, you are mine. There's an ownership. There's a possessiveness. If someone scratches your car, I'm a little concerned about it. I feel bad for you. They scratch my car. That's different. Okay? It's my car. I have a sense of ownership. It's been marred. It's been damaged. That concerns me now. I'll do what works I can to get rid of it. My car is a G8 GT 2009, the last of the Pontiacs. It is an icon. It has 360 horses which get to run regularly. And I'd had some damage on one side of the door, so I'd fix the door and had it repaired. And then months later, I'm noticing a staccato series of, of, of cuts, like about that much on the door, down to the paint. And I'm like, what? How did this happen? What? And when I went to one of the people that was involved in fixing things, they said, oh, we see this all the time. A lot of times, just out of curiosity, when you park in the garage, does your wife park over here? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times when they open the door, Renee and I are in counseling right now. <laughs> and after today, it's not going to go well. <laughs> I care about it because it's my car. You care about it because it's your house. You care about that kid because it's your kid. It's your kid. It's your spouse. God comes along in this passage and he says, I have redeemed you. I've compensated for your failures. I've paid the price for those failures. I summon you by name. I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you've experienced, what you feel and what you're going through. I know your questions. But at the end of the day, you are mine. And it's safe to come home. It's safe to come home. Isaiah 42.3, as we wrap this up, simply says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. And faithfulness will bring forth justice. I've loved this passage. It's been one of my favorite ones. It means a bruised reed, one's kind of trembling a little bit. He's not going to go and break it off. Uh, a, a, a flame that's just almost dying. He's not going to come, oh, let's just finish it off. He won't do it, it says. It says he'll clear the wax. He'll, he'll bind up the broken part there. He'll restore it. And what really grabs me is this same passage, Isaiah 42, 3. Jesus quotes in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. He quotes the exact one saying this is his ministry. That he's not here to break people that are already broken. He's not here to snuff out people who are already struggling. He's here to restore and redeem, call them by name, and claim ownership and rulership over them. And here's the note that I found on Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 in my Bible. There's just a little note down there. And the note simply said this, Jesus mends broken lives. Jesus mends broken lives. 
friend of mine said this recently, I've become ever so conscious of who I've not yet come to be. At the same time, very much humbled and in awe of who I am no longer. This person is living in a liminal space. We as a church are living in a liminal time period of transition. And if you come to Christ even today, then you step across the threshold into a whole new life that has yet to be fully experienced. And so as we do this, and as I conclude this here today, I want to say to you just several things quickly, and that's this. I want to first do what's involved with naming, which is identifying. Here's who we are, if you don't know us as a church. We relish the difficult job. We like the challenging elements. We are the bridge nobody sees. We keep our word, and we do not walk away. We believe in people over process. We are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the scripture as the only authority and salvation only through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. We do not ever betray our friends. And we treat our enemies with kindness, gentleness, and respect. This is who we are. But there's more than that. We are also the broken we are also, as the song sang of, the silence, the see-through. This is why you can find us with the sinners, not only because that's where Jesus went, but because in part that's who we are. Depending on the day, we are the widow with that might that gives everything, only the next day to be the rich young ruler unwilling to release anything. We're the woman with the perfume that, that breaks at the feet of Jesus, so broken by our sin and our failings that we pour out everything upon his feet. And the very next moment, we're the one in the household that's staring at her saying, why is she even doing this? Oh, that's because she's a sinner. And we forget that we are. We're the ones that stand as tax collectors, beating our chest inside of a temple, daring even to look our face up towards God, while one moment later we're the very Pharisee that is so proud of our so spirituality and all that's part of that. We are the prodigal. Wanting to know if it's safe to come home. And at the same moment, we're the older brother. Sneering wrapped up. In just a few moments' time, we're going to conclude this gathering. We're going to go out and we're going to fellowship. Hopefully you'll stick around, be a part of the celebration of the food. But before we do that, I need to ask one question. If you haven't committed your life to Christ, if you haven't made that decision to separate from that past, this morning would be a great opportunity to choose to do that. If you have, but you found yourself being drawn back into that past, today, Jesus is saying, do not dwell on it any longer. Step over the threshold. There's a whole new space that he has for you and for us as a church. So this morning, I'm going to ask you just quickly, just quickly where you're at, bow your heads with me for a moment and close your eyes for just a moment, quickly, please, and give privacy to those around for just a moment. And I would ask you this morning, where is your relationship with God? Do you know that you've been redeemed? Do you know that he's calling you out by name? He identifies you. That it's safe to come home. 
If you know that and you're assured of that, God bless you. But if you don't, and this morning you're prepared to make that commitment to follow Christ, then quickly, without anyone looking around, just raise your hand up quickly. I want to pray with you. That's all. Wherever you're at. Okay. Anybody else quickly? Okay. One more moment. We're not going to longer, but anyone else quickly. All right. And God, this morning, I come before you. Lord, we as a people, first of all, we embrace what you're calling us to do and to be as a church. No longer dwelling on the past, but, but, but looking to this future that you're now springing this new thing into play. But there are individuals in this room that particularly own this today. And many of them are the ones who raise their hands now. Others in their heart and their mind still are processing and I ask, Lord, that right now, for those that did raise their hands, that you'd assure them as they repent of their sin this morning, accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would give them an affirmation that the past is gone. And as they stand on the threshold, Lord, that you'd lead them by the hand into your place of warmth and love and caring, that they'd be assured today that it's not only safe to come home, but that they are, in fact, welcomed home. This morning, Lord, in this moment of time, we pause and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to hearts, to minds. Let us hear your thoughts, your desires in this moment of time, I pray. Let's be clear that um, Rock Point isn't doing really anything in Costa Rica. Guatemala or Russia or other places. We're not doing anything specific in Detroit or in Osborne or in Dakar. Rock Point isn't doing anything. God is doing those things, and we are simply the bridge. That's all we are. God is doing those things, and we're just the bridge. So let's walk that in humility. Let's no longer dwell in the past. Let's look what God's doing in this next season of time. There's something radical and transforming I believe God's planning for. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us, that you call us by name. You know who we are, but also that we are yours, that we are yours. And on this journey, as we're in this liminal space, as we're in this threshold and crossing over point, that you're going to walk through and with us through this whole time, God, that you have a plan for us and it's safe to come home. So, Lord, as we go and celebrate now, I pray your blessing upon the food, upon the time that everyone's having here, Lord, and for those that must leave, it's traveling upon them as well. We pray your special blessing upon Miguel and upon Karina in the work that they are doing, Lord, and we pray a blessing upon that church and upon his ministry, Lord God. We pray for uh, Principal Crockett right now and pray that you just empower her and strengthen her, that, there, that this year in Osborne would be a successful year, God. We commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.